All right, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to KOVE 1330 AM, 107.7 FM, Community Connected. You're listening to Coffee Time. I'm your host, Vince Tropea. And as I mentioned before the break, we're in studio today with House District 54 Representative Lloyd Larson. Uh, we're really excited to have Representative Larson here today. Uh, one of the many uh, instances of interview guests where we're trying to expand Coffee Time, uh, get to learn a little bit more about all of the uh, variety of things that are going on in our county and in our state. Uh, really excited to learn about uh, some of the House bills that he was a part of, that he co-signed on. Uh, the other things that he's excited about to talk to our listeners to let them know uh, the happenings that uh, on the legislative end of things. But since this is the first time that we uh, uh, have interviewed Representative Larson, we're going to do the usual get to know your representative, get to know your elected official kind of interview here. Uh, before we get into that, even Representative Larson, how are we doing this morning? It is really a good morning. It's nice to see some of the snow going away. It's too nice to be inside. I'm right there with you. And uh, you you uh, get to travel around quite a bit for uh, for your job, correct? So you've been seeing uh, what uh, winter travel has been like. So you're correct with the legislative session in since the legislative session have made multiple trips back to Cheyenne to um, address legislative affairs. It's the first year in the 11 years that I've been in the legislature that I've not been able to go through Jeffrey City, Muddy Gap, and Rollins once. Wow. Because the road between Lander and Rollins or from Rollins to Laramie has been closed. All winter, so, since November, almost so since, since November. I always have to go through Casper, and I just, I like the drive through Jeffrey City, always have. Same, same. Uh, but, and, and we know that everyone out there is doing their best uh, getting those, but this has just been such a crazy, crazy, intense winter. Uh, I think you just have to hug your local YDOT employee and say thank you because they've just done an incredible job. Incredible job. And then just hearing those uh, awesome stories about uh, them basically leading uh, a little YDOT convoys to get the uh, sports teams to the, because there were state competitions going on. And some folks were like, how are they, why aren't they canceling that? The state competition is a hard thing to cancel or reschedule. And those YDOT guys that helped keep them all safe, we appreciate it. But uh, uh, Representative Larson, we, we once again just appreciate you taking the time to come here and chat with us today. Um, like I said at the top of the uh, interview here, uh, we'd love for you to give the chance to our listeners. Uh, we'd love to give you the chance to tell our listeners, rather, uh, a little bit about yourself for those who may not know you. I appreciate the, the invitation, Vince, and I have been on Coffee Time over the years many times, but it's my first time with you, and I appreciate Correct. the invitation <laughs> and, and hope that this can be an opportunity that we can uh, do again and again. But you're right, you're new, and there's a lot of people in Fremont County that are new that are wondering who the old fat guy in the legislature is, and I should, <laughs> hey. I should probably help them understand that. I, uh, my wife, Becky, and I <clears throat> moved here in 1980. Um, my brother and father and I had a, a business in Fremont Valley in Wyoming, Fremont County, in, in Rock Springs, Triple L Incorporated, that we started that really served the petroleum industry around the, the Intermountain West, and we sold that in, in 2014. Um, and so since that time, I've just really mainly been doing the legislative thing. Um, I grew up in southeastern Utah in a little town, Monticello, about 1,800 people. And, and my wife, Becky, is a Missouri girl. We met as I 
went to school back there, and we have six children all raised. Five of those were UW graduates. We had one that attended MSU and BYU Idaho, but uh, wish they were a little closer. One son in the closest, uh, our son Zach's in Riverton, and then we have a, our youngest daughter Sarah and her family are in Cokeville, but the rest are scattered around. 19 grandchildren that we're proud of and, and feel very blessed to have. You know, we tried to be active in the community, particularly be involved in supporting our kids as they were involved in activities. You know, our, we really have fond memories of when they were on cross-country teams and traveling around the state and, oh, I bet. And with, with people to do that. We enjoyed working in Wyoming and had the opportunity every morning to get up early and be out in the, the hinterlands of the state where oil and gas production took place and just seen things that I don't think many people in the world ever had the opportunity to see the remoteness, the pristine nature of the state, and then to be part of the the industry that really supports the state mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in state revenues. I've been in the legislature now for this was my 11th session. My uh, first term was in 2013. Uh, people often ask, what made you run uh, for House District 54 for the legislature as a whole? I had never held an elective office. I was sit, sitting in our my office one day, and my older brother, John, who lives here in Lander and w- worked with me and um, came in and come down to my office and said, uh, Del McComey, who was our who was our House representative for this district, isn't going to run again. He says, I think you ought to run for that. Had never given any thought. Um, so but, you hadn't had any background in, in politics or it, it, maybe like a slight involved, interest? Had been involved. Oh, I had been involved civically and had always had interest. Yeah, okay. In, you know, armchair quarterback. <laughs> I knew exactly what they were doing wrong right, all, right. all the time, right? <laughs> Darn straight. And so when <clears throat> when he he suggested that, um, I couldn't think of a reason not to. Um, so I went home and was hoping my wife could think of a reason not to. Um, <laughs> she thought about it and she says, the only thing she says I can do, I can support you in that. You just have to promise me and with a solemn promise that – you will never run for governor. <laughs> and <laughs> I, he says, well, that's, I told her that wasn't a problem. And, and uh, I, I will not ever <laughs> run for governor, no intent and in, uh, no interest in doing that. And so that's really how I got into politics. And uh, I will tell you that my first, uh, first session, I had some preconceived notions. I mentioned that I was kind of an armchair quarterback on politics and knew all the things that I didn't like. Um, all the things that government was doing that I didn't like. And Which is similar to I, all of us yeah, to some degree. Yeah. So I went down there knowing there was all with all sorts of conspiracy theories in my mind and knowing of all of the backroom deals and the, the rank influence of lobbyists that we all kind of figure exist. Yeah, you had it all figured out. I had it all figured <laughs> out. And I was going to, so I went down there not with a chip on my shoulder, but maybe just a little bit of a sour attitude. And with we had a couple of weeks training, and then within about the first two weeks of the session, I couldn't. I come to the realization that I couldn't have been more incorrect in my perspective of Wyoming politics. In what ways? 
everybody else that was there serving uh, as an elected official was no different than I were. They were they were businessmen, they were attorneys, they were accountants, doctors, um, housewives. So maybe even some similar folks who had that kind of mentality of I'm an outsider going to get Wy- it. They love Wyoming uh-huh. and they wanted to do what they could. They felt an obligation to represent the people and try and move the state forward. And then <clears throat> as I learned the things that my predecessors had done you know, the Permanent Mineral Trust Fund, the Hathaway Scholarship, the uh, our funding of schools, um, how we take care of, of people with disabilities. I realized that these were pretty amazing people mm-hmm. who weren't particularly influenced by some large out-of-state group, but they collectively had worked really because they understood Wyoming better than anybody because mm-hmm. they were here right and um, and really put Wyoming on a path that we have now and so I feel a real solemn obligation to uh, put Wyoming first and make sure that I set my various political perspectives sometimes aside some of those preconceived notions well, and just no just as you move just as you move on you every every day you kind of have a mindset of of how things should work and what's best for the state and sometimes you just you you have to be careful not to get so set with those perspectives that you uh, do an injustice to the state by allowing a great opportunity for the state to move forward pass by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to step back and look in the mirror every morning and say, you know, you're just Lloyd Larson. Um, you're, you're really not a great catch. And, <laughs> and realize that you just need to get your butt out of bed, get to work, listen to people, study, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. become familiar with the issues and, and, you know, I try. I probably was not as successful as others, but I try and set the the politics aside and, and by that, meaning not to take advantage and get caught up in the the rancor or the the poking the bear or trying to um, take advantage of a success to um, at the at the cost of somebody else's reputation or right or, right. Or their efforts. I try not playing to, that political game. Yeah, trying yeah. to get the political game. I, you know, it was interesting in this last uh, election cycle during the campaign. There's a lot of conversation about being or not being a politician. Well, if, if you're in public office, you're a politician, right? I, it, you know, and you can decide um, how that how that uh, nameplate is going to apply to you. Um, some people would would like to label themselves as a statesman, but statesman is a politician, right? But it is certainly comes with respect and honor, but that is bestowed upon you by other people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you may view yourself as all sorts of things, but that may not align with what other people see you at, and so. You know, my, I, you know, I try to be responsive to people. I don't always, I don't, I don't agree with everybody all the time. And there are times when we make uh, decisions in the legislature that 
A, a good example this year would have been uh, there was a bill to um, have Wyoming be part of the convention of states to want to participate as um, to have a convention of states to look at various national issues to like having a um, balanced budget and a number of other things. And here in Fremont County, I think you would just balance the scale with those that won a convention of states and those that 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 don't. And, and what so, do you do in that situation well, <laughs> as a representative well, uh, who's trying to no, represent well, everyone equally? <laughs> no. Well, you. The, the problem with that is, as you try and represent everybody equally, is you may come to know more about the issue than perhaps a large majority of those who have an opinion on it. And so in a situation like Convention of States, you've got to do your homework and make a decision that you feel is most appropriate for the state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily the populace or, or the most vocal group. Um, now in, in this district, there are some very, some people on Convention of States that are really doing their homework that support it and really doing their homework that don't support it. And there's, there's some fair arguments and, and, when I first came in, I was very supportive of a convention of the state up until this year had supported it. I didn't this year. And that that's just kind of a, um, as I've seen that evolve, I just have some concerns with doing that. But that's just an example of some of those things that um, sometimes come before you when you're, when to serve the public and uh, knowing that for everybody I, I please that send me this email that says, geez, thank you for doing that. You're, there's a chance that you're going to get another email that says you no account cur, um, scoundrel of all scoundrels. <laughs> what, what were you thinking when you done that? And you, you can't take offense. Right. You have to, t you have to find the valid validity in you, both sides all the time. You just can't take offense. And you, that thick skin. you've got to have some skin that mm -hmm. will, you know, well, it might sting a little bit, but you can't, you know, they're, they're passionate and this is important to them. And when they, when they say those things, you, you can't, uh, you have even, to know, even if it's intended personally. Right. 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 Even, you know, there's, there's a great saying along that line that I kind of tried to live by. And, um, it was, a it was, it's credited to Brigham Young that he says, um, those who are offended when no offense is intended is a fool. And he who is offended when offense is intended is probably a fool. <laughs> you know, so that's just, a great saying that that, so that goes just, back to some old stoicism philosophy quotes too, that I really like. Yeah, that's, just, that's, you, you just have to, if, if you're going to step into this arena, mm -hmm. you know, well, and I've been on the receiving of that in terms of uh, the, the media before. And when it's, it's not a fun position to be in, but you have to have that thick skin and that realization of when someone is doing a personal attack at you and they're right about something that they're saying. It's it's not a great feeling to be wrong and having someone pointed out in a way that's not the best, but you've got to have that thick skin to be like, all right, well, maybe I do need to consider what they're saying. Or flat out say I was wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and acknowledge that and, and make corrections where necessary. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's okay. 
That's okay. But uh, I do want to uh, ask you about some of the um, uh, House bills that uh, you were involved with, maybe some of the ones that uh, you were on the ground up from uh, that you were excited about from this last legislative session. So I'll preface my response with a little legislative history. Please, please. That that helps you. So when I was my first year, I was put on, uh, I requested to be on the minerals committee. That's was my background and to be on transportation. That was the the what committee? Minerals. Minerals. Okay. And transportation was another committee and had just felt comfortable in both those realms. About two weeks into that, um, that session, the Speaker of the House came to me and said that he would like to take me out of the Transportation Committee and move me into the Labor and Health Committee. I, you're down there to serve. I says, oh, where, wherever you want me, it's fine. I don't, <clears throat> I don't, that'll be fine. And so he made that assignment change and put me on Labor and Health. And I had, you know, I tell people, and it's not a lie, I couldn't even spell Medicaid. I had no, <laughs> no idea what I was getting right, into right. labor and health. And I've really had to, and I served on that committee for four years. And um, then I went on to appropriations where I continue to serve to this day. But that background in labor and health and in minerals has just been extremely helpful as, as I've served in the legislature. That was, both of those helped as we, um, as I headed the health facility task force, as we rebuilt the new state hospital um, in Evanston and the Life Resource Center here in Lander, I was the chairman of that committee that oversaw the construction of those and then have been involved once we got that landed to um, craft legislation that passed the um, redesign, the behavioral health redesign on <clears throat> for people that struggle with mental illness and substance abuse with our community mental health providers. That's been a two-year effort. And so this year in our legislative session, I had a couple of bills that kind of fit along those lines that were personal bills. One was um, we have a requirement if a person commits a misdemeanor and um, makes a plea that they're not competent due to mental illness or um, mental capacity, that then um, they have to get an evaluation at the state hospital in Evanston, and it has to be an inpatient. So you have to be admitted, get the evaluation, come out. Well, that adds to, we have a limited number of beds at the state hospital. Right. And, And I think in most people's minds, you think these are felons or people that are Title 25, meaning that they're at risk to themselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for personal. So one's committed a crime, the other's just, involved, you know, they're, they're at risk themselves. And then we throw in these misdemeanors, and I think we can all think of the, the long list of misdemeanors, and you say, does that justify taking up bed space in the state hospital for an evaluation? Even more important is these people that commit a misdemeanor that make that plea will then sit in a county jail because there's not a bed at the state hospital. Right, right. And they'll sit in the county jail longer than what the sentence would be for the misdemeanor they're serving. So one of the bills that that uh, I worked with the, the uh, chief justice in, in crafting and working with the Department of 
Department of Health was to say that for misdemeanors, a inpatient evaluation is not necessary. You can get an outpatient, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from the uh, a forensic evaluation from the state hospital. It can be from any, another source as long as it yeah, is a competent evaluation. Right, right. So that's just trying to streamline that, help those people not have to sit in in a county jail for a long time and then not plug up the state hospital. Uh, another bill I had, and I can't even remember the number of it, was to help uh, our psychiatric residential treatment facilities um, that provide services for our adolescents with behavioral challenge uh-huh, uh-huh. be able to capture a higher um, reimbursement rate for Medicaid. And we do that with an upper payment limit program and and so we we was able to get that through to where the department of health then can make that really what happens is those hospitals we have them for hospitals nursing homes with our uh, ambulance services to where they can um, help supplement the state side of medicaid to get a greater reimbursement rate from um, medicaid back to those people and so that was an important thing Probably the most work I'd done this session, and it, well, um, really is around the budget, being on the the Appropriations Committee. I currently serve as the vice chairman on the House side, and the chairman's Bob Nicholas, an old um, lander boy that um, is a great chairman and is is wonderful to work with. Um, I think this, this year's budget, a supplemental budget, so... Every our budget cycle is is biennial every two years, and we come in and do a standard budget that's supposed to last two years. In the supplemental budget, we we, we always have to come in and make some adjustments to some agencies. There's some things that happen. There's new developments that happen. This year, <clears throat> what happened with uh, surprising high um, the high prices of commodities on for coal, natural gas, oil, and sales tax, and then our property tax, we ended up having about $2 billion available for, uh, in revenue, available for appropriation. And so <clears throat> the question is, what do you do with that? And that's just for myself to some degree and to any of our listeners, could you just describe uh, the the role of the appropriations committee? I mean, you are making those decisions on where funds get allocated, correct? For for the most part, yes. Okay. So so that's my tentative understanding of what it is. (laughs) So the the appropriations committee, um, well, let me back up and say this. So the governor... Uh, the executive branch oversees all of the agencies. The legislature are the appropriators. It's, it's just constitutional. We we say how money is spent. Once we say that, then it's the executive branch's uh, responsibility and right to then use those appropriations and, and uh, fulfill the, the okay. obligation of okay. that. But to do that, then the governor every year presents a budget. He gets all these agencies and say, what do you need this year? And they review that. He goes through and, and uh, refines it. And, and then those, then in our budget hearings, the Appropriations Committee will listen to every agency's request for 
general fund dollars. That's what we get off our revenue coming into the state. Mm -hmm. And federal funds that also are available to the state. So those are Medicaid dollars or uh, federal mineral royalties uh, that come into the state from from our mineral production, things of that nature. And so then based on just like your your budget at home, how much money do we have? How much do we, what are our expenses? What can we afford to do? And can we save some, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so, and it's interesting because people will say, well, you just go down there and spend like a bunch of spenders. Right, right. And if they sit in on these budget hearings, you'll see us, you'll see us sit there and haggle over $500. So tell us, really, you need $500 to, for this advertisement at this radio station in Lander? Are uh-huh. you kidding me? Right, right, right. Why, why is that? Why Why do you need to do that? Or why? And, and it's a pretty vigorous. I bet. I bet. Know, it's a pretty vigorous uh, process. And, and, you know, we, uh, we, we jokingly talk about ourselves as warm and fuzzy and easy to cuddle up to. But I think, you know, the agencies know that when they come in, that there's, it's a very frank conversation on why they're requesting what they're requesting. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we, th- we take that uh, responsibility very serious on what we spend money on and how and why and making sure that it's constitutional. So this year we find that we have about $2 billion. $2 billion. Then, yeah. And then, you know, what do we do? Do we go to the fair and buy cotton candy and ride the roller coaster uh, multiple <laughs> times and then come home and say, gee, that was fun? And because we know that that won't be ongoing, most of it will be will be a one-time reflection just in our understanding of how revenues come into the state. And a lot of these are time-sensitive. Like They're, they're not going to be there for in perpetuity, right? You well, have to this, figure out. No, this, 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 this was for this time period. We know that that was in, will this funding come in ongoing for a future? Part of it will. Okay. Okay. And we, we have to kind of make that determination. We estimate, we have Craig, the, the consensus revenue estimating group, which is looking at revenue estimates all the time and trying to determine how much money or revenue will be coming into the state to help us make these kind of decisions. And so we we believe from their estimates that there will be an increase in money moving forward, but certainly not to the level that we had. So <clears throat> the first thing we've done is looked over our shoulder at 2021 when our revenue just dropped to zero, where oil was in a negative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we had to do some draconian cuts to agencies and those cuts impacted you know we've done for for uh medical providers uh that see medicaid patients we two and a half percent cut in their reimbursement yeah it's a common complaint we don't get paid enough and then we cut them again you we cut services therapeutic services to people with disabilities so speech therapy that you need to have to continue your your swallowing reflex or or occupational therapy, we we cut a lot of that stuff that um, just, you know, feel socially the state has a responsibility mm-hmm. to, to do. But we, we had to make those cuts. So the first thing we've done is looked in the rearview mirror and said, okay, we need to get those back in place. 
we never intended them to be ongoing right in mental health services and things that like and so we we put um, a lot of those monies back into our our community providers like community entry services here in Fremont County mm-hmm. that you know where they could afford to hire people at a rate that people we all are challenged to find employees around the state and they were particularly challenged similar to they uh, for their direct service providers and right. they just couldn't afford to pay them because the the state wasn't reimbursing wasn't providing a reimbursement at a level that would warrant that. So we made some corrections there. We restored the two and a half percent cut. There's a waiting um, list for people to get on uh, with this uh, developmental disabilities. We re- most of them are children. Uh, some of them have been waiting, and these are these are people that have serious challenges. Their families right. have serious challenges, and some of them had been waiting up to five years. And so we cut the we took a lot of those, about 280 of those, and was able to fund them to get services uh, from Medicaid as well. So we spent some money. Okay, we give, uh, we we uh, done the external cost adjustment for uh, K-12 education. There, we're required to rebase education on an annual basis and then um, look at that I think every two or three years, I can't remember the exact time frame, and they make a recommendation on the funding model to make sure that we're complying with uh, the requirements of funding K-12. We, we, we funded a little bit last, last year, but just for one year. Okay. That's, that's hard. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I can imagine. So, so what do you do? Give a raise and then say, Oh, that raise goes away, and so yeah. we funded that. We that you know that's a seventy million dollar price tag that that sustained that external cost adjustment we made last year, and then added to professional, non professional curriculum, and I forget the other segment to where it's ongoing. And so <clears throat> we got that funded. We we've been working. We started last year getting our state employees salaries, which had been stagnant for about a decade mm-hmm. and we were losing state employees. I can only imagine in significant numbers. Right. And, and so when you s- wondered why we didn't have all of the roads plowed, well, when they couldn't last year, when they couldn't hire snow plow, I think we had 80 or snow, snow plow driver positions open. Could people just, we couldn't pay them enough. Mm-hmm. And same with the highway patrol, same with the engineers. And so we were on the second phase of that, getting that brought up. But the most significant, so so we got those funded. And so we spend about 380 extra million dollars in the supplemental budget. Then what we've done is took $1.4 billion with a B and put into savings. It's the most... It's the largest amount ever put into savings in one session in the state's history. Wow. And so for every dollar we spent, we saved 350 or not 350 but $3.50. Okay. Now, <clears throat> there has been some, as, as people look at that, they say, 
Well, yeah, but if you take that $1.4 billion that you saved and you look at the return on investment you get on that, that doesn't equate to what you spent. Mm-hmm. So you still spent more than you can anticipate in return. That was never the design mm-hmm. because we don't we we don't base expenditures solely on one component of revenue. We base it on the whole component of revenue. So um, extractive, you know, our minerals, our sales tax, our property tax, and and we felt that our and we do feel like I feel like our spending was in line with what we can sustain moving forward. That, that I feel like I learned a lot just then about I like I said I had a tentative grasp on how some of those things worked, but the 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 inner machinations of it all uh, is very enlightening. And we are running out of time here now on the show today, but like we said, we're going to have you back on. We want to do this regularly, at least once a month or something, if that's okay with you. I I would enjoy the opportunity. I you know, and as individuals, constituents have questions if they would throw them at you and maybe we can address those. Totally. It would be, it would be helpful and I'm happy to address any. Yeah. feel And actually right there on that note, any of our listeners, if you do have uh, any questions uh, for representative Larson that you want to send to me at uh, Vince at County 10.com or tips T I P S at County 10.com, send them my way and then we will throw them at representative Larson next time we see him. Thank you for the, for the time today, Vince. We really do appreciate it. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we come back more coffee time after a quick word from our sponsor. <laughs> 